Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Kim. Uh, first of all, could you briefly tell us what IBI does? And it is interesting that it's an international organization, but it's headquartered in Korea. So can you also, is there any special reason for that? So IBI is the International Vaccine Institute. It was founded in 1997 uh, here in Seoul, South Korea, the first international organization headquartered in Korea. And its mission is to discover, develop, and deliver safe, effective, and affordable vaccines for global health. So IVI, in, in its 25-year history, has actually uh, taken two vaccines to approval. The first is the oral cholera vaccine. And the vaccine from IVI, uh, made by different manufacturers, but primarily from a small Korean company called Ubiologics, is 90% of the world's supply of oral cholera vaccine. And for typhoid conjugate vaccine, uh, we were working with a actually larger company, SK Bioscience. That vaccine was approved by the Ministry of Food and Drug Safety in May and has now actually been submitted to World Health Organization for approval. And a, and a second technology transfer of that vaccine to uh, Biopharma in Indonesia uh, has, is, is being evaluated by their regulatory authority uh, for approval prior to submission to WHO. So, um, we think typhoid conjugate should go forward also. Both of those vaccines were funded by the Gates Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, IVI is one of only two organizations in the Gates Foundation funding group that has ever taken a vaccine from the laboratory through licensure. And now we have two vaccines. Why are we in Korea? Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if you look at vaccine manufacturing around the world, in, in the beginning, of the 1990s, there were 11 or so companies um, in, in the West. By the end of the 1990s, they were down to four. And there were no real manufacturers in low and middle income countries. And at that time, of course, Korea was a middle income country on its way to becoming a high income country. So the United Nations Development Program had an idea. They thought that it would be important to, to have a global health vaccine research institute that developed vaccines in Asia. So they put out a call for proposals and Korea beat China, Thailand and India to be selected as the site. But at the same time the Korean government committed the land and the institute that, that we're in now and also to support about 30% of the cost of IVI. And so the, the, Korea was selected and they broke ground on this site um, in 2003. Why Korea was interested in this, you know, I think uh, back then, Professor Cho Wang Kyu and uh, Sangde Park had this idea that uh, biotechnology was one of the waves of the future and that, you know, Korea could benefit from having a global international organization uh, that developed vaccines um, because it would be a place where technology could be spun off. And I think in the end that that was absolutely correct. And, and I mean, if you think about K-Vaccine and the way Korea does industrial policy, it's really the culmination of 10 years, actually more than 10 years worth of development. You know, in 2010, uh, during the pandemic influenza, Korea was informed by the United States. Um, this is actually vaccine nationalism. The United States has laws that allow the government to confiscate vaccine made in the United States for U.S. Uh, uses. Even though Korea had paid for it, the United States had the right to take it. And I think Korea was a little bit upset by that. And so they 
started thinking, and, and actually a person at IVI and people in the Ministry of Health at the time were thinking about making Korea self-sufficient in vaccines. So they wanted to be 80% self-sufficient in vaccines. And they also thought Korea should be a major vaccine manufacturer. At the time, Korea was number 11. And the goal of this little group uh, working on something called Vaccine 3.0 was to, make vaccine, was, was to make Korea 80% uh, self-sufficient in vaccines and also the number five vaccine manufacturer in the world. And, you know, when we first presented this idea to our board, the, one of the people on the board said, oh, this is not, this is ridiculous. You shouldn't, Korea should not do this. And, um, but by 2016, the first part of it, Vaccine 3.0, was funded. $300 million to build the two large we call them pilot manufacturing. They, they do smaller scale manufacturing, um, often for vaccines that uh, companies are, are thinking about developing and, and want to test in humans. One in Andong, one in Hwasan, and it also paid for the Vaccine Research Center, KBRC. And the next thing was um, something called the Wright Fund, which IVI worked with the Gates Foundation and Korean government to convince Korean companies to join. It's three-way funding, Gates Foundation, Korean government, and companies. And it's designed to take vaccines, drugs, and diagnostics for global health from a university laboratory into the clinic, which is really a difficult transition. We call it the valley of death. You know, mm -hmm. professors have great ideas, but they can't make it into a product. The Wright Fund is designed to take those products from the university and translate them into something that can be developed and, and used for global health. Um, the Wright Fund actually has doubled and more than doubled in size. So it's been a really remarkable, and additional companies have joined, which is exactly what you want. Then the next thing was <clears throat> something, I don't know what to call it, the vaccine research hubs. Oh. Um, so if you think about, if you want a, a global vaccine um, manufacturing powerhouse, you need technicians and PhDs who, are, who understand the science that goes into vaccines, so immunology and virology or microbiology, all these things that people need in order to, to take a vaccine from the point where we identify uh, the germ, the, the pathogen, to the point where we actually have a vaccine that's been approved. So you need people to do that, and you need to understand cutting-edge R&D. And Korea at that point didn't have it. And IVI is a part of the three hubs. One of the hubs is called Vital, and it's $200 million dollars. Um, over seven years. So this funding is available if the Ministry of Health wants to develop a new platform, say uh, bring in a, uh, one of the adenovirus vectors or a, um, a new vector su such as the one Merck is using for Ebola. IVI or another institution can bring it in, create a vaccine, and then share that platform with Korean manufacturers or other manufacturers around the world. So it creates the technology so that now Korean industry has access to it. And the PhDs to work in industry and the technicians who can help to man the plants. And then the final step, of course, is vaccine is the K vaccine. And that's $2 billion. And that $2 billion will build the factories that will make Korea the number five vaccine manufacturer in the world. I mean, and, and this, but it starts with investments in, um, actually a government investment in the vaccine research center and in being able to manufacture vaccines at smaller scale and then uh, funding to get things out of laboratories into, um, into testing in humans 
and then something that would allow you to do a lot of research and, and train people in vaccine science, and then finally the big effort to create the manufacturing. And if you think about how Korea has done other things, this government planning around core industries is really important and, and has been pretty successful. <laughs> so that's the, that's the background of how the Korea's ambitions for the global vaccine hub has become. Right. Oh. And we've been lucky because IVI has been a part of, of the discussions and thinking along each of the steps. So, you know, um, Song Mangi has been a part of the government effort for K-Vaccine, and I joined it late in the last administration. And um, around the vaccine R&D hubs, I mean, we're a part of all of them. So we can help facilitate, you know, importation of new technology or training of new um, staff. And, you know, it's really hard, actually, right now to hire people who specialize in that in Korea. I mean, the market right now for um, technicians and people who can work mm -hmm. in biology, biologic, biotechnology, is very, very tight. It's actually, it's really hard for, a, you know, we're not a company, so we can't pay the same salaries. We cannot find enough people to work at IVI, mm -hmm. which is an indication that biotechnology in Korea is taking off. So why do you think this ambition is so significant for Korea and for globally? So first for Korea, you know, Korea is extraordinary in manufacturing. Actually, I met a friend um, that I hadn't seen in 10 years, more than 10 years. And uh, back in the 2000s, they were trying to set up a factory. Now, they're based in California. It was a company based in California. They were trying to set up a factory to manufacture an AIDS vaccine. And they were running into trouble in California. And they came to Korea and they, you know, they were shown this you know, empty, flat piece of land that was reclaimed from the ocean which is now, I mean, Songdo, which is what the third largest city in, in Korea. But they were shown this thing in the, and told that the Korean government would help them put together the factory. And he said, I just couldn't believe it. What would have taken five years in the United States was put together and, and created in Korea in less than half the time. And he said, that's the difference. Now, the vaccine that it was supposed to manufacture failed. It didn't sh show protection. So that same company became Celtrion. And Celtrion, of course, is one of the major manufacturers of monoclonal antibodies. So there's a huge industry, both in vaccines and in biotechnology, that is, you know, billions of dollars. And Korea is the number one or number two manufacturer of contract manufacturer of monoclonal antibodies. So this kind of technology can be applied to vaccines or monoclonal antibodies or other uh, substances that are biological. And it requires a good amount of expertise. It's very difficult to copy. Maybe you have uh, partly mentioned this, but in your view, what makes Korea an ideal place for a vaccine hub? So uh, vaccines are highly technical, uh, and Koreans have um, tremendous resources for science, engineering, and math, for or the STEM um, where it's very difficult to get people in the United States interested in STEM. In Korea, lots of people, including women, which is very difficult to do in, in other parts of the world, have an interest in, in science and math. I mean, that's great. And that motivation then uh, translates into, you know, an ability to work in industries that are highly, you know, that are on the cutting edge.
And so, you know, when countries evolve in vaccines, and this is true of the Indian and Chinese vaccine companies, they don't innovate, they, they tend to copy. They'll, they'll not exact, they won't violate patents necessarily, although sometimes maybe, but they'll imitate a techn vaccine technology. Now that's actually fairly expensive. It isn't like copying a drug, which is a chemical, and you recreate the chemical. With a vaccine, it's a process. So you have to have the know-how in order to take a biological substance, make it consistently, make it in a way that it's pure, and make it in a way that if we inject a person today and inject a different person you know, a year from now, that the responses will be the same. And that's actually a very difficult thing to do compared to drugs. So because Korea has good manufacturing, highly skilled technical workforce, and has an ability to do things like that very precisely, um, it's in a sense ideal for, for biotechnology. Biotechnology is green. That's the other thing. You know, it's not a high pollution, you know, type industry. And it's high, it's a very significant revenue. When Celtrion or Samsung Biologics makes what we call a biosimilar, so a monoclonal antibody that is not exactly the same, but is, is like one of the monoclonal antibodies that one of the big U.S. or European companies has, it immediately sells $2 billion worth of that monoclonal antibody. And companies in, and countries in Europe buy it because it's a lower cost, high quality alternative to something that's available from, you know, manufacture in the U.S. So it's really an opportunity. But in the end, the best thing to be is not a fast follower, but to be the group that is creating innovation. Because that's where Pfizer created, you know, well, it wasn't Pfizer, it was BioNTech. Pfizer partnered with them because they had the know-how. And they made a vaccine that was $35 billion worth of sales globally. And, you know, if you want to be uh, on the cutting edge, it's a little bit different. And I think, you know, the best Korean companies are doing that now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Samsung has to compete against Apple and against the Chinese companies. And that means that it has to be on the cutting edge of innovation. And that's not like being a fast follower because you're taking a lot more risks, but the benefits are also greater. So what do you think are the progress has been made so far in Korea in terms of the vaccine hub? Ah, so <clears throat> and what are the challenges? So back in 2010, remember Korea was 20% self-sufficient, so it's not very self-sufficient. Now it's 50%. Hopefully in five years it will be 80%, which was the target. Mm -hmm. um, so vaccine uh, security, I think we increasingly realize after COVID, that being able to ensure that the population has access to um, advanced vaccine technology could be very important. It could be a national security priority. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about what happened with COVID around the world. The second part is that there is um, opportunity, right? I mean, you know, the global vaccine and biotechnology markets are, you know, really increasing significantly or projected to increase even more significantly over time. And that, again, creates opportunity. The, the risks here are that you know, all of a sudden you're not looking at external markets, you're looking at internal. So Korea is only 50 mil 51 million people, but Asia is 3 billion, almost 4 billion people. And if that's the market, then there's enormous opportunity, but you have to be able to go outside of Korea. And you know, right now with the company still relatively small, 
they're not like Pfizer and Merck, which can sell vaccine all over the world. Um, they're much more limited. And so as Korean industry expands, it's going to have to do what Samsung and Hyundai and other Korean companies, LG, have done in terms of expansion overseas. And that's a slightly different because, you know, with drugs and vaccines, you not only have to get approved by the Korean regulatory authority, but when you go to the United States, you have to get FDA approval. And when you go to Europe, you have to get EMA approval. So the steps are a little different, maybe a little more complicated as you're trying to push new vaccine technology into new markets. But as with everything, if you want to be the number five vaccine manufacturer, then you'll have to find someone to buy the vaccine. So how is IVI helping Korea to achieve these mm. goals? So I, I described the, um, the stepwise process through Vaccine 3.0, the right fund, the, um, the new R&D hubs, and uh, K-Vaccine, and we've been a part of all of those in terms of the thinking and development, working with the government. With the right fund, you know, IVI helped the uh, government to recruit the Korean companies that had to join. And we were the point of contact for Gates initially. Um, for these global vaccine uh, manufacturing hubs, you know, we are doing some of the, bringing in some of the technology for um, novel vectors. We're partnering with Korean companies that are developing mRNA vaccines because we can do the testing in animals, or we can run the assays that they can't do, or we can do clinical trials outside of Korea uh, pretty easily which some, especially smaller companies, have trouble with. And then because of the experts at IVI, uh, if a small company, say, you know, a company with 50 people, wants to start testing in humans uh, and wants to do some testing overseas, they have to go through this, uh, we call it the regulatory strategy, how you're going to get it uh, approved as quickly as possible because that's how you get, you get revenue when the vaccines are approved. So what's the shortest pathway? So we advise them on business development, on regulatory strategy, and we can help them with clinical trials. So in a way, we become like a, IVI is sort of an external incubator. Mm. I mean, in the sense that companies can come to us for advice. Sometimes they don't work with us. They just take the advice. Sometimes they take advice and come back. <laughs> um, and sometimes, like, you know, with Celid or SK or UBiologics, we're really involved in helping do clinical trials. So uh, I understand IVI has partnered with some Korean companies mm -hmm. in development of uh, COVID-19 and other vaccines. So can you highlight some of the <clears throat> programs IVI is progressing and ah, there's okay. some recent milestones? Yes, so, um, so oral cholera vaccine, which is something we're very proud of uh, because the original approval was in 2011 Ubiologics received its first approval in 2016, and then again in 2017 with a different product. And the Ubiol and of course they're 90% of the global supply, but there's a shortage. So we've continued to do technology transfers to other companies, but we've gone back to Ubiologics to say, you know, the vaccine is a little too hard to make. So could we reduce the number of components from five to two, which significantly not only increases the decreases the complexity of manufacturing but it increases the amount you can make because now these five bacteria have to be grown up in the future only two so you can actually grow up a lot more and you can make more vaccine more cheaply 
And so that vaccine is now in clinical testing in Nepal. We're anticipating it will be successful. And it's in the final stage, actually, of testing. And so we call it phase three. Once that is shown to be um, equivalent to the existing vaccine, then it will replace the existing vaccine. And the world will have a much bigger supply of cholera vaccine at lower, lower cost. Then we're working with another Korean company, or actually the same Korean company, because the current oral cholera vaccine doesn't work well in kids under five. So there's a gap in the coverage. And one of the things that we're partnering with Harvard and New Biologics to do is to create a one-shot injectable vaccine that should theoretically work in babies, which again would, would offer protection to the group that is most, um, they suffer the most from cholera. And then for typhoid, we, the technology transferred to you by a lot to SK Bioscience. Again, we were waiting for uh, approval by WHO, which will then allow this vaccine to be purchased by UNICEF for use in global health campaigns. Also with SK, you know, we're we're a part of the SK testing platform. So the uh, Sky Covion one, um, the testing outside of Korea was done by IVI. Mm-hmm. So in um, different countries around the world. And that vaccine, I guess, is going to be evaluated by the European Union. Hopefully it will be approved. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's another, I think, very important Mm -hmm. thing that we can do. And just working in Korea. And then there are smaller things, but they're really important. Um, Some companies in Korea, so let's see, how do you put this? Korea has um, some of the best technology for patches. And what are patches? You know the things that people use for cosmetics, like... I think on TV shows you see people putting mm-hmm. them under their eyes. So those are um, patches that have little microneedles on the inside. And for um, cosmetics, they put different substances in that will make um, you know the bags under your eyes go away. Or, But the other thing that you can do is if you put a vaccine on the patch, you don't need a needle anymore. You take the patch and you put it on the skin, and five minutes, 30 minutes later, you take it off, and that's it. And for, actually... I think my kids would have preferred no needles, most kids. Very few big companies are interested in that, but Korea, because it has the technology to do that, has an opportunity then to take some of the vaccines that it makes and put them on patches, and you know it could be the first to have these approved patches. And that kind of cutting-edge technology is already something that we, all, we know, that UNICEF and Gavi, which is the vaccine alliance, want. Because for global health, you don't need a nurse anymore. Mm-hmm. You can take a box of, of vaccine patches to a village, and the mothers can put it on, which really would increase uptake of vaccines. Uh-huh. And then uh, partnering with Korean mRNA companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, Korea you know, wasn't a part of the mRNA race for COVID. But you know, with the technology that um, Korean universities can generate with the mm-hmm. IP, and with you know the advice and support from the government on how to avoid IP pitfalls, you know, how to avoid getting uh, caught in someone else's patent, Korean companies can now move forward. And so we're partnered with several of the smaller Korean companies, and actually uh, with some bigger ones, <laughs> to to do testing for the mRNA vaccines. And then with through the Right Fund, also with thing, companies and universities outside of Korea that have Korean partners. So that's part of the uh, the incubator function, I guess, of IVI. 
Okay, my last question is, um, can you tell us a little bit about your personal goals as the Director General of IBI? Ah, yeah. So, you know, IBI has a strategy. And the strategy has, builds on the three, or it's actually the four pillars of IBI strength. You know, we do, we have a research component, a laboratory that develops vaccines. We have a group that tests vaccines. We call them phase one to phase three clinical trials, the things that you need in order to get vaccines approved. We have a group that um, does epidemiology. So a lot of the diseases we work on, many countries don't know that it's a problem. So we'll go to a country and say, here's cholera vaccine. And they'll say, we don't need cholera vaccine. We don't have cholera. And so we'll have to do the studies to show, actually, you have a lot of cholera. And if you use the vaccine, it, you would save a lot of money for healthcare, and you would save a lot of lives. And they'll look at the data and the Ministry of Health will go to the Ministry of Finance and say, the data say, for every dollar you invest in cholera vaccines, you save $26 in healthcare costs. And the Ministry of Finance will go, okay, well, that makes sense and we'll pay for the vaccine. So that group is very important uh, for us. And then the final group does what we call effectiveness trials. So they're the ones who show not only that the vaccines are safe, you know, so we know the vaccines are safe and efficacious in an experiment, right? And comparing vaccine to no vaccine, that's, you know, how we do the experiment and generate the data that gets approval. But the real question is, well, take that vaccine. Now, if we use it in the real world, will it still have a benefit? And that's actually really important, again, for countries to understand that these vaccines do have real benefit. Under all of that, we're an international organization. So the foundation of IVI. And an international organization is different from a non-governmental organization. An international organization is a collection of countries, states. And um, to join IVI, you actually have to petition to join, you're approved, and then the country has to go to the United Nations and drop the, this letter off with the Secretary General that says, we are joining IBI, which is an international organization that is made, you know, that where the documents are maintained by the United Nations. And um, so all of those things constitute what IBI is. And in order to do what we do, then we have three strategic initiatives. The first is to, is to be um, bigger and better. So we already are, we already do vaccine development well, and the first strategic initiative says continue to do that, but do, it, do more of it. The second strategic initiative is um, expand our international presence. So, you know, actually IVI is fairly well known in Asia, uh, but not that well known in Europe or North America or Latin America and, or Africa, and even though we work in Africa. So the second initiative is become uh, an international, international organization. So someone said it's IVI with a capital I uh, rather than a small international. And so we've already started. We've opened an office in Sweden. We're looking at additional offices and expanded activity. Being in Sweden is important because a lot of the global health organizations like World Health Organization, Gavi, SEPI uh, are all in Europe. And from here, we can interact with them virtually but you know, their afternoon is our late night. Their early evening, which is good for the United States, is really horrible for us. So we often aren't on calls because it's at three in the morning. Mm -hmm. So being in Europe means now we can interact with them. We can, we can have a representative visit them, uh, which is very easy. And so we're, we'll become better known. And also then it allows us to be more active in Africa because again, Africa, 
if we are doing a project in Africa, we can call them really early in the morning or from the afternoon through the evening. So, I mean, we have maybe two hours of overlap with them. And that's not ideal um, when you're starting projects or even if something goes wrong. Um, so one of the things is expand internationally. And then the third thing is we call it future-proofing governance. But what it really means is you need to be an international, if you're an international organization, you have to be an international organization. You can't have a board that doesn't have any representation from the countries where IBI works. So the board of IBI has 10 members who are selected at large. So they are global health experts, uh, people who have been in uh, vaccine manufacturing companies, um, people from govern government uh, and foreign um, the ministries of foreign affairs or ministries of health. But they're only from countries that fund IVI. So what we did in May was we admitted two members uh, from non-funding countries, one from Rwanda, one from Ecuador. They're member countries of IVI. They nominated and, and the two candidates were selected. And now the board actually has better representation. And at the same time, we've created something called a global council, which will meet for the first time next year. Uh, and that is going to be like our assembly. So becoming more international, and that's important because, you know, we, we talk about uh, colonialism in, I mean, colonialism in general, but there's research colonialism also. And countries really don't like the idea that a big uh, or research organization from the United States is taking Gates Foundation money and coming to work in Africa. The difference is that IVI, when we receive funding from Gates or Wellcome Trust or somebody, the Korean government, we're working in partnership with our member countries. So it's a little bit different when you're working together as a part of a group that's committed to developing vaccines for global health. So that's, that's our strategy. Get bigger and better, expand internationally, and become a real international organization. Thank you for your remarkable comments today. Thank you're you welcome. for your time, Thank Dr. You. Kim.